Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Yes, I'm old. Old enough to remember when the MCP was just a chess program. There you go. That's pretty good. That's a good quote, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to... now I'm hungry for Pepperidge Farm. <laughs> you can't get that from here. <laughs> um, we're going to talk today about some pretty famous matchups between human beings and computers uh, in, in various games. And this is one of those things that, uh, that people have been interested in. Well, really... It, it it goes back even before computers because it really kind of uh, dips into the whole man versus machine um, uh, idea, right? I mean, this goes all the way back to John Henry versus the the steam steam engine steam engine, yeah. Yeah. And uh, people have wondered, like, when were when would we reach a point where computers would become better than humans at various games and uh, we've reached the point with several games where we can pretty much definitively say computers are better at it than than we are. Yeah, now, in a lot of the podcasts where we've mentioned artificial intelligence or AI in mm-hmm. the past, um, we have talked about gaming. And in those situations, we were talking more about computer opponents when you're playing against something in a computer game or a console game. And that's a little different than what we're talking about here, because in uh, I think uh, actually I was I was reading an article um, by Jonathan Schaefer, Vadim uh, Bolitko, and Michael Burrow in the IEEE Spectrum, mm-hmm. and uh, it was talking about computer opponents in uh, in software, uh, specifically the game Fear. F-E-A-R, which right, is uh, First right. Encounter Assault Recon, mm-hmm. and how that has that's known as for its excellent AI. But um, basically, these games we're talking about today uh, are, are classic board games, classic right. tests of, uh, you know, a, a one player's skill and strategy and thinking against another human being. And we wanted to know, you know, whether that's possible now. It sort of depends on the game, and it sort of depends on the opponent. But that's really, uh, according to the authors uh, in this in the Spectrum article, um, it really started with with board games, and that's one of the things that has gone into the development of AI in computer games of all kinds. Was you know these attempts in the past to develop uh, a formidable opponent, somebody that or something that you can play against, where you don't have to go. You know, I'd really like to play a game of chess, but. You know, Steve's working tonight, and and I don't have anybody else that I can think of, and I really want to play a game of chess. Well, you want some, you don't want to, uh, something that's going to annihilate you instantly, nor do you want something that's going to be a complete pushover. pushover right. What's so the point of playing then. Yeah, exactly. It's like playing me in chess. <laughs> I I only know how to lose at chess. Yeah, I'm very Trust good me. at losing as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, an, an interesting question and, and sort of a philosophical question. It's not just programming. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of these games have have elements to them that go beyond just a the, the physical number of moves that are possible at any given point, 
right? right. Some games, that's pretty much all the game is. For example, uh, Connect Four. Oh, yeah, yeah. Connect Four. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about solving games. Now, to solve a game means that you have determined what all the possible moves are, mm-hmm. and you know what the best possible move in any given situation is. Um, if you have perfectly solved a game, then in theory, you would be able to play a game, even uh, pick up a game that had already been started by someone else, and play it from that point forward, playing the best possible moves, even if that person who had previously been playing made a lot of mistakes. Uh, not many games have been solved to that level, but a lot of games have been solved to the point where two players starting off with a fresh board and going from there... Uh, is there a is there a perfect way to play where you will either well, well essentially where you'll never lose? Yeah, I speaking from personal experience, I think Reversi is one of those games. Yeah. Um, if, if you're not familiar, it's the uh, the game with the black and white pieces that uh, you you try to basically surround your opponent uh, to the point where you flip all of the pieces to your color, and or or as many as you can and outnumber your opponents. Now. I've played uh, computer opponents in which, on the easy mode, it was a cakewalk. Right. And I'd switch to the next level, and it already it seemed as though the machine had already been programmed with the best possible counter move to whatever it was, to the point where, if I played on easy, I would almost always win, unless I did something really stupid. Right. And on even medium, it would know exactly how to counter every move I make to the point where I could not win, no matter how well I would play the game. And uh, I, I think there are certain games for which you could say, okay, well, these are the moves. In this case, it's the best possible move. And, you know, when you're playing a, pe- a person, you go, well, I'm, you know, oh, look, he made a mistake. And right. you know that, you know, Jonathan in this case is sitting across from me. He made a mistake. Well, he may not have been thinking about it. The computer's not going to make a mistake. It's already been programmed with that in mind. Yeah, the the mistakes computers make are based upon not expecting behavior from a human. Right. Right? I mean, that's that's the way computers make mistakes. They don't make mistakes in the same way humans do. So, for example, getting back to the Connect 4 uh, uh, example, right. that game's been solved to the point where, assuming perfect play on both sides, yes. the first player will always win. Yes. There is no way for the first player to lose if both players are playing perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Perfect play means you go for that center spot, folks. <laughs> just, just an FYI. Uh, if you need to, uh, if you need to play Connect Four and you're the first player, get grab that center spot on the bottom row and uh, and then just play perfectly from there, and you'll always win. <laughs> Easier said than done, really. But that that was one of the games that was solved fairly early on. But there are other games that have been solved as well, and some games are not truly solvable. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I wrote an article about computer versus human game matchups. And the first one I mentioned was BKG 9.8, that would be the computer, Mm -hmm. versus Luigi Villa, or Villa. So so Luigi here, he was a backgammon player. Yes, as am I. Although I'm nowhere near as good as Luigi. Yeah. So so Luigi played uh, a match against BKG 9.8 in June 1979. And um, the the game was uh, got a, a fair amount of press because the computer program beat the the player. Mm-hmm. However, backgammon has an element in it that is unlike games like Connect Four or 
checkers or chess. Yes. That would be dice. True. There's an element of chance in backgammon. So, depending upon the dice rolls, you may be luckier than your opponent, and that luck might be enough for you to beat someone who is technically more skilled at the game than you are, someone who is who is better at formulating strategies and picking the right moves and the, the best possible outcomes. Uh, you might win just because you get on a lucky streak, and that seems to be what happened with this computer program. Yes. Should we mention our uh, our earlier podcast on random number generators? Yeah. Because if you were playing a computer and you were not using an actual die, or in this case dice, then uh, and you're relying on the computer to generate random numbers, well, in general, you can't because yeah. they're they're using an algorithm, and the uh, the computer number generators will generally go in a sequence. Now, this kind of goes back to what. Chris was saying earlier about playing a video game in a video game world where you're playing against video game opponents. Technically, in that kind of environment, uh, the AI is totally different from a board game because it controls the entire environment. Yes. So you could create a video game that compensates for really strong players by pitting the environment against the players. Yes. You know, I mean, it's it's completely within the realm of possibility. In the situations we're talking about, it's supposed to be a fair game between, or as fair a game as you can get between a computer and a human. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's not supposed to be any element that's going to be within the computer's control that could that could weigh it in favor of the computer. Right, because it's supposed to be a, a test of intelligence. Yes. Relative intelligence, like a, as we mentioned with uh, Alan Turing. Yes, yes, the Turing test. Um, now, in that case, the Turing test was a, a test to determine whether or not you could tell the difference between a human respondent and a computer respondent to a right. series of questions. Mm -hmm. In this case, we're talking about whether a computer is able to formulate a winning strategy against a human. Uh, the next one on my list was Chinook versus Marion Tinsley. Aha, uh -huh. with checkers. Yes, this was checkers. Now, the, Tinsley uh, was an accomplished checkers player. Oh, yes. Amazing uh, champion. He had won the championship from 1955 to 1992. Not bad. And he had only lost um, five games between 1950 and 1992. That seems reasonably decent. I think I've only played five games since 1992. <laughs> I probably lost all five of them. Well, uh, this is another game, though, If uh, unless I misunderstand uh, the article that you so aptly wrote. Um uh, in which there is a a way to play perfectly. Yeah, uh, this was that was not discovered till 2007, or not not oh. truly proven till 2007. So, when Tinsley played against Chinook, um, the game had yet to be solved, and uh, mm -hmm. sadly, Tinsley actually passed away before he could before they could definitively say whether or not the computer was a superior player. Right. Um, they, they would play 30-something games in a row and, and end in draw, a draw every time. Mm -hmm. um, but well, well, that since... suggests that... I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that suggests that, that uh, uh, Tinsley was able to play a perfect game. Yes, because in 2007, the team that, that created Chinook uh, did prove or demonstrate that they had solved the game and that if you play perfectly on either side, let's say both sides are playing perfectly, mm -hmm. it will the game will always end in a draw. 
So, yeah. so checkers is different from Connect Four in that if you if both sides are playing perfectly, there is no winner. It's going to be a draw. Whereas with Connect Four, whoever goes first wins. Right. There's actually I remember reading about a game. I, I didn't jot down it jot it down in my notes unfortunately. Where it was the second player. If the second player plays perfectly, if both players are playing perfectly, the second player will always win. Interesting. Which is which is interesting because you know it it just shows that it all depends upon the actual style of the game. Mm-hmm. Now the the next one that's on my list is probably the biggest one. Yes. Yeah, the one that everyone knows or has heard about. Right. IBM's is, famous Deep Blue. Yes, against Gary Kasparov, who was the world champion chess player at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, they actually had two matches, two two series of games. The first was in 1996. And in that series, uh, Kasparov actually came out the victor. He he managed to no, win. No, Gary, not Victor. Uh, thank you. <laughs> came out the winner, <laughs> yo wiener. Uh, so Kasparov won in the first series of games in 1996. Mm-hmm. Right. And then IBM redoubled their efforts. And as uh, Kasparov says in one of his articles, um, they redoubled its uh, they doubled its its processing power. Uh, the article I was referring to is called "The Chess Master and the Computer," mm. which uh, was a, a, a actually pretty interesting article. At any rate, uh, in that game, uh, Kasparov won the first game of the match uh, in the series, lost the second one. Mm-hmm. The next three were draws, and the final game, Deep Blue won. So in that case, Deep Blue won the the series, and this was this made news worldwide. Because yes. chess was one of those games that what, that people thought this game is so complex and it relies so much upon intuition and and strategy that goes beyond just numbers that it was going to take ages before a computer could beat a true chess champion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and, and it, ca- go ahead. I was going to say, and this isn't just any chess champion. I mean, no. he had the highest rating. Yes, uh, offered by the uh, the world body that governs chess. Right. Yeah, the, uh, um, there are various ways to rate chess players, but yes, Kasparov held the highest rating of all human players. At this point, there are computer players that have higher ratings. In fact, ratings higher than what people thought were possible. <laughs> um, but uh, the the interesting thing here about this, this uh, matchup was that Kasparov said... He thought that he had not prepared properly for the games and that he wished he could have had another rematch mm-hmm. uh, in 1998. But IBM uh, shut down that that project because they had pretty much proven their point. You know that they were they set out to create a computer program that could beat the world champion in chess, and it and it worked. Mm-hmm. So why continue that? I mean, there's no other application really for that. So they shut down that program, and and Kasparov never had a chance to uh, to try and and uh, and and prove that he could beat this this computer. Now, since then, Kasparov has played other computer programs mm-hmm. that are on uh, extremely powerful machines, and in some cases he has played to a draw or won, and in other cases he has lost. And he has said that we have re- essentially reached the era where a, a uh, powerful computer running the right software, or even desktop computers running the right software, can beat a a grandmaster chess player. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is because these these computer programs often have an entire database of opening moves available to to uh, uh, to look at before making any kind of a, a move against an opponent. And the other is that 
Chess is a really complicated game. You can't really map out all the possible moves easily because there's so many different pieces and they all behave differently and right. there are a lot of different options at any given time. Uh, but what chess computers do very well is they can plot out the, all the possible moves once you get down to a certain number of chess pieces toward the end game. Right. And so a lot of these chess programs are very, very good at plotting out the best moves when there are only, say, seven or eight pieces on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, once you get more than that, the uh, the different variables are so vast that it's a lot harder to account for all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, uh, it's going to be pretty much uh, it's, it, it'll it'll take a lot of luck really to beat a a powerful chess program at this point. It, it can happen. Um, Kasparov has shown that by playing uh, in a, a kind of unconventional way, you can fool a machine. He he actually did fool Deep Blue into sacrificing a piece that it shouldn't have, and that was how he managed to win one of the games in the 1996 round. Mm-hmm. So computers do make mistakes, but um, it's it you know it's it's hard to it's hard to predict when that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. They don't behave the same way humans do. So, uh, and Kasparov actually has said that now champion chess players are starting to adopt more computer-like approaches to playing, and has even uh, talked about uh, he, he's he's kind of a, a championed a, a concept called advanced chess, mm-hmm. which involves a player consulting a computer during play. Huh. So it's so it's. A combination of human intuition and the ability of a computer to have that entire database of every game that's ever been played, essentially, and to rely on that and see, like, oh, well, what what is this series of opening moves? Is that is that something that's been played before? And if so, what's the best thing for me to do? And, you know, there are points where the human takes over and starts to make moves, or perhaps the human has a move in mind and programs it into the computer to see what possible counter moves could happen. Um, and it's it's kind of a, in a way you might think, well, that's sort of cheating. But in another way, you might think, hey, this is a, an example of computers and human intelligence merging in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I see I, what you, you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that I have a problem with with certain games is the lack of encyclopedic knowledge of everything you could possibly do. And um, uh, in reading your article, uh, I actually was thinking about this from a personal standpoint before I got to the next example. But, uh, yeah, I, um, I'm i a fan of the uh, Scrabble brand crossword game. I love their trademark. We have to use that trademark. <laughs> um, although I love the game, so it doesn't bother me so much. It's quirky. Um so the thing is, if you go to a lot of the uh, the clubs that really get into the game, um, you will find that a lot of them offer lists and lists and lists of words, all kinds of words, lists of words that you can make with different particular letter combinations that you might have on your tile rack. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking, man, if I had access to all these words without having to study these lists, I might you know, really be able to womp up on some people playing Scrabble. Now, there are people who spend lots and lots and lots of time studying the word lists so they'll be armed with all these different uh, uh, lexicographical weapons. Um, yeah, I don't know if lexicographical is a word. I'm not I'll have sure. to look it up. I'm not sure that would work in Scrabble. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> However, um, it seems that uh, 
that in your next example, yeah, that uh, there is a computer uh, able to play at that level, and that seems like it would have a, a severe pose a severe disadvantage for the human opponent. Yeah, Quackle is the the program um, that you were referring to. Quackle's right. a, yeah, a computer program that um, that was able to beat a champion named David Boys uh, in a series of games uh, of Scrabble. And Quackle, again, Scrabble's one of those games that also comes down in part to luck because mm-hmm. it all depends on what tiles you have in your sure in you know you have at your disposal. Uh, and Quackle was able to beat David Boys. Fair and square, right? It was able to fair and square in the sense that it wasn't it wasn't making guesswork of the game. It was building words based upon what it had available and what was on the board already. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it did have an enormous database of words, so that gave it an advantage in that you know human beings, some of us are really good at remembering, you know, thousands of different word letter combinations that make legitimate words. Others, <laughs> we rack our brains like. I've got a V, a B, an F, and then a Q and an O. What can I make? You know. So that one was playing pretty much by the rules. What was interesting to me was uh, I ran across a story about a uh, a graduate student named Mark Richards. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Who came up with a program, a Scrabble program that goes a step further. It doesn't just have a massive database of words that it can play. Uh, and the another advantage that Scrabble uh, computer programs have is that let's say that you have two lines of uh, like two words that are fairly close to one another on the Scrabble board. Mm-hmm. Um, and But, you know, they're separated. There's maybe like five blank tiles between the two words. These computer programs are much better at looking at those, those configurations and determining words that can span those gaps mm-hmm. better than humans are. And so uh, you'll see words played by computers that most humans never would have thought of because to to have taken that into account, that big gap into account, is just kind of beyond what most of us do when we play. There are good players out there who are really good at this, but most of us, you know, we'll, we sit there and we concentrate on one letter at a time, or if words are close enough, we might be able to get two letters that are already on the board incorporated into whatever we're about to lay down. Mm-hmm. Well, what Mark Richards did was he went a step further than that. He created a program that could guess what letters the opponent had at his or her disposal. Oh. By by, you know, there are only so many letters that are in a Scrabble game. So it's counting tiles. Right. Like it's counting, counting cards. Tiles. It's like counting cards in Vegas. It would count tiles. So you would start playing the game and at the beginning of the game the computer really can't tell what you have because mm-hmm. it's only the only information it has at the very beginning of the game is which tiles are in its uh, its vault. Mm-hmm. Right. Anything beyond that, it doesn't know. So, I mean, it would know like, OK, well, one of the QU tiles is in uh, in my hand, which means that there is one less, one fewer out in the actual game. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But you can't really say, well, what are the odds that he's holding that? You know, it's it's astronomical. You know, there's no QU in Scrabble, right? It's not QU. No. I thought it went. Oh, it's just Q. Yeah, some of the uh, some of the others that are similar because have a Q U. Almost every instance that Q appears in the English language is followed by the letter U. Um, That's right. So at any rate, the uh, uh, so Q. Thank I'm just going to say somebody's going to write in. So well, I'm I don't just... play a lot of Scrabble clearly, but at any rate, so the computer uh, what it can do is as the game goes on, it can start predicting with better and better accuracy yeah. which 
tiles you probably hold in your in your hand. So what it what it does is it'll start playing words and playing parts of the board that will block off the best options you would have in you, when it becomes your turn. Mm-hmm. So it's blocking you from the combinations that would get you the most points. So so you're you're handicapped even further than you were just from playing the game fair and square. Yep. Evil. <laughs> you know another interesting thing and another interesting point you made. That was nice. Um, in the uh, uh, discussion of Quackle, yeah, is that it? In order to actually play uh, David Boys, it actually had to beat another computer in tournament play before it was allowed to play him. Yeah, uh, which I think is funny. So it had computer versus computer. Yeah, there are a few. Point. There are a few tournaments that I've seen like that where it's been computer pitted against computer, and then the winner goes up against a human champion. Um, and then there have been other. Uh, exhibit games like I remember there's one with Kasparov where he was playing against 32 computers yeah and wow. he won all of the, all of those games nice d- yeah 32 to nothing uh, and then the last one in my list was a computer program that was playing the game of go yes and go is particularly interesting in that it has if you're playing on a full board, it's a grid of 19 by 19 lines, and you play your pieces on the inter- where, where those lines intersect in the mm-hmm. grid. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge number. Yes. And, and so the, the potential moves in Go is big. Is, 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 there, there are more potential moves in that game than, than pretty much any of the other games we've talked about. Right. And uh, there are also situations that can pop up where just because of the nature of the game, uh, a move may or may not be technically legal, or there may actually be room for you to discuss the legality of a particular move, which makes it even more difficult for a computer to win because a computer just can't make that consideration. Right. So um, Go is one of those games where we have seen computers beat champions at Go, but we've also seen cases where these these really powerful computer programs have been beaten by Go players, and sometimes they are Go players who are you know, eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's one of those where if you're talking about solving a game, it's probably going to take a while to solve that 19 by 19 grid game because it's just, it, like I said, the, the potential number of moves are, uh, I mean, it's 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 enormous. Yeah, yeah. But that's, uh, I mean, such a difficult game too. And, I mean, the, the player that uh, this particular Go program took on uh, certainly one of the best in the world, and it took a supercomputer, a Cray supercomputer. Yeah, with 512 cores. Yeah. 512 cores to, to calculate the best possible move. I, if nothing else, this kind of says, it kind of points to the, the huge hurdle of creating an artificially intelligent machine capable of thinking in a way that humans think. You know, we take it for granted how complicated thinking actually is until we try to mimic it uh, using machinery because just even using something where you've got a, a a closed environment with known rules that you have to follow mm-hmm. it's still incredibly difficult to match uh, human performance in that yeah yeah fascinating stuff though yeah yeah uh, and uh, all the players we talked about could beat the pants off of me in just about any game yeah. and there are other computer program problems that are interesting to to look at like um the people who solved checkers or some of the people who worked on the whole checkers problem mm-hmm. have moved on to things like poker 
Ah. And poker, uh, like Texas Hold'em, and that's a game that is also difficult to uh, to beat, uh, or to it's it's hard to figure out a way to program a computer to play that at the same level as a human champion. Because you think about poker, you're dealing with hidden information mm-hmm. because you don't know what cards someone else may or may not hold, um, and you're dealing with strategies like bluffing. And mm-hmm. um, uh, now the thing about computers is you can't upset them. True. So you're not going to get a computer to play on tilt. Right. But you can make a computer think that your cards are better than what you hold. Or or worse, because there are a lot of strategies that involve tricking someone into thinking that you're holding a weak hand so that they overcommit themselves in a bet, and then you sweep in and you, you just take all that money, and then you run away laughing and throwing chips at people. That's how I play. <laughs> No so, one likes to play with me. Oh, well, yeah. except for the people who pick up the chips because they're like, awesome, free money. Yeah. So you're saying then that if you were playing a computer opponent at poker, you wouldn't necessarily need to worry about walking away or running. And you might even be able to count your money while you're sitting at the table. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, even if the machine did get upset with you, it can't climb stairs. What a gambler. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I'm No, I'm not going to quote any more from that song. That's done. Yeah. But anyway, it's Kenny. Nice. Nice. So this will wrap up this discussion before I have an aneurysm. Um, Speaking of running, I should probably get to that. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what what the, the future of, of computers and gaming holds, because we've already gotten to a point, like I said, where we've reached a, a, a state where computers can beat the best players in many, not all, but many games. Mm-hmm. Um, will we eventually see uh, chess championships played between computers? Will 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 we ever actually say, you know what, this comes to a point where we have to legitimately award a computer program the title of world chess champion? Uh, I doubt it. Well, I mean, they, they do use the uh, uh, console games on autoplay to predict the outcome of the Super Bowl. So Yeah, but, I mean, if we allow a chess funny. game to become world champion, shouldn't we also allow things like, I don't know, like the Tesla Roadster to compete in the 100-yard dash? I mean, like, like... Wow. I'm just saying, like, you know, you're already stacking the deck. I mean... Yeah, I don't... Well, I mean, it takes all the fun out of it for people, too. Yeah, I would hate to get run over by a Roadster while trying to run the dash. Take it's the fun out of it meant. for me. But that's a good point. Yeah. So don't get run over by a computer is what what we're getting at. I mean, All right. It was a long way around to that moral of the story. But Apparently. At any rate, uh, if you want to learn more about it, you can read the article. It, it's uh, it's about the uh, – oh, hang on. I've got the title, actually. I was about to say I'm about to work my way around it. It's Top 5 Computer versus Human Game Matchups. Um, it's a, it was fun to write, and I was so pleased that I could find other games besides chess, because that's the one everyone thinks of. Oh, sure, uh, sure. But there are other games out there that, uh, that people have created programs that are, you know, these computers are really good at playing those games. Haven't found one that can really take me on shoots and ladders yet, but I'm sure it's coming. Oh. And, uh, of course, Sorry. We're going to wrap this up. You guys, if you have any comments or questions, you can contact us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw, or you can email us. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. 
Jonathan, um, mm-hmm. actually, this was just handed to me. Uh, uh, okay. It looks like HowStuffWorks.com now has an iPhone app. Sweet! Isn't that yeah. awesome? Yeah, actually, um, I got to, to take a look at this earlier, and guys, this is pretty cool. The iPhone app is uh, sort of a way to integrate all the cool stuff we do at HowStuffWorks.com. So you guys may have listened to one of our podcasts, and we talked about there's this great article on the site, but you're not at your computer, so you can't really check it. Well, the iPhone app actually lets you browse articles and blog posts. It even lets you interact on Facebook and Twitter, and you can listen to podcasts at the same time. And it has all the HowStuffWorks.com podcasts on it, not just ours, but, you know, good ones, too. So you can listen to those and look at the articles and, and go on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, it should work perfectly with your iPhones and iPod Touches. Awesome. Well, that's, uh, it looks like that's now available on the iTunes store. So that's good to know. How much does it cost? It's free. Sweet! Ha <laughs> ha. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?